0: I remember one time I was uh, trying to practice my Russian with uh, a Russian family in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I live. And uh, I was on the phone with her, and I was doing my best. I wasn't doing bad. And uh, she couldn't figure out who it was, so I finally told her. And she said, Gordon, you have a terrible Ukrainian accent. How would I know, you know? but I guess because I go to Ukraine so often and that's probably where I learned. So my name is Gordon Wright, I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma and uh, I'm a missionary to Russian Ukraine and I've been going in and out of the country uh, twice a year, about two, three weeks each time for 33 years. Uh, so I had the opportunity when we first went in to visit with some of the brothers, uh, bishops and pastors who had been in prison And I mentioned this uh, Saturday night at the service that I I was friends with uh, Bishop Ivan Fedotov, who was the senior bishop of all unregistered Pentecostals, which basically was the underground church at that time. And he had spent 13 years in prison. I met another man, uh, Bishop Levchuk, who was a Ukrainian bishop, and he was in prison for 24 years. So it's hard for you guys to kind of imagine that because you're a different generation. But I think it's good to understand the history of what they call the Brotherhood. You need to understand the history, and I got to really touch that and taste that. So I've been going in for 33 years, and uh, we work with, uh, um, in Russia and Ukraine, and the Voronezh Oblast and the Kiev Oblast and we work with about a dozen pastors and we support pastors and churches. And I thought maybe you'd like to see some pictures. Um, I haven't had an opportunity to go into Ukraine because of COVID. So COVID locked us down, we couldn't travel. Uh, Finally, it opened up enough where if I had insurance and I had uh, proof of a test, I could go to Ukraine problem was I couldn't go to Russia and Ukraine because you couldn't go from one to the other. You had to originate from America and it was too expensive. So I went to Ukraine and that was the fall of 2021. And I was working with a particular bishop because we have a Bible Institute for pastors and church workers and we wanted to start that back up. So we scheduled it for April and of course the conflict occurred in February. So I was locked out for another year So that was like three years. And uh, I found that uh, you could go back into Ukraine, but it was a little convoluted. Uh, You couldn't fly. You had to go to Warsaw, take a train to the border, and then catch a sleeper train 13 hours from Helm, Poland, to Kiev, Ukraine. So we did that. So we did that. So I'm going to show you some pictures. All right, and probably you know—I don't know if you know some of the statistics—but through this conflict, uh, 8.3 million Ukrainians fled the country. Uh, There was another 8 million in-country that were displaced, so 16.3 million people scattered. 8.3 throughout Europe. A lot of them went to America. Uh, Three million were uh, in Poland. And I don't know, a lot have come back because things have settled down a bit, but some continued their journey. So there's a lot of uh, people in, you in, in Warsaw. And so we connected with them and they took us in. And uh, we spent the night and then they took us the next morning to uh, the train station. Uh, this is a brother who uh, actually is part of a rehab center. And if you'll notice, he's got tattoos on his hands, which are prison tattoos because he was in prison for some kind of drug-related charge. But he just glowed with the Lord. He loved the Lord. So he took care of us while we were there. The fellow to my left is one of the deacons from our church, Jerry Dunn, who went with me. So the two of us were waiting to catch a train. So that's not so bad, is it? I mean, that's a sleeper train. And uh, having been on sleeper trains numerous times, I was quite impressed. I guess this was first class or something because, I mean, the sheets looked like they were ironed or something. This is Ukrainian train. And so we spent 13 hours on this train. And uh, you have to get your own food, but they provide tea. And uh, it's really nice. They have a steward or stewardess in each uh, train compartment area, and they serve you and take care of you. So it's not bad. So here we have Poland going over to Kiev, so 13 hours from the border. Uh, This is the Kiev Oblast. It's divided by the Dnieper River. Right above it is Belarus, and to the right is Russia. So Kiev is quite close to Belarus and Russia. This is Kiev, the city proper. Uh, The old city is on the west bank, and the newer portion is on the east bank. How many have been to Kiev? Okay, so you know the East Bank has a lot of high-rises and stuff and it spreads out up towards uh, Russia. There's a community called Brovery and we actually work in Brovery. It's it's actually a very nice area. So this brother picked us up in Kiev. This is uh, Pastor Alexander and the church is Cornerstone Church and it's very near the airport so it's in Kiev proper. The church was built by a good friend of mine uh, Bishop uh, Nikolai Lovchenko and I've known him for like 30-some years. And uh, he was uh, living in a high-rise on the 18th floor when missiles were coming in. And he's an older man, and he had to run to the basement every time there was a... So finally, his son took him, and they left. So he's in Germany now, so this brother is the pastor, and he raised him up. He's a wonderful brother. This is uh, Easter, April of this year and uh, preaching in the service. And you can just see, and I want you to take note, the choir is almost all young people, a lot of young people. Good-sized church. They used to meet, uh, he originally had a house church, you know, everybody had house churches in in the 80s, you know, the 70s and 80s. And And so it's amazing what they've done. I mean, you know, this church took a long time to build because they have to build, as the money comes in, you don't borrow money and build a church, you know. So it takes four or five years sometime to build a church. They tend to uh, meet in the basement. You know, the basement's where the fellowship hall is and the kitchen. So they finish the basement, they meet down there, and then a year passes, and they build, and then they, it's really interesting. This is the youth meeting Monday night. They have a youth meeting every Monday night and uh, so I was speaking in this youth meeting, as I am now, and there's 45 young people in this meeting, which was I was quite impressed. Something else that happened that was quite interesting, they have contemporary worship. You can see guitars and keyboard and so on and so forth. And uh, when the worship ended, this young girl, who was about 19 years old, gave a prophecy. It was so powerful. I mean, I really couldn't understand all of it but uh, the anointing of God was so strong. And then when she finished, she walked up to this girl in the front row, stood in front of her and prophesied to her. The youth leader was running around with an iPhone trying to record it. (laughs) She did that twice. Just the movement of the Holy Spirit was so sweet. Wonderful kids. this is 45. Then we held a Bible Institute. As I mentioned, we had done this uh, for a number of years, Uh, continuing education for pastors and church workers, intensive training, all day Saturday. Sorry, all day Friday and all day Saturday. And I would teach eight hours, and then there would be a Ukrainian brother who would teach eight hours. And uh, we hadn't done this for three years, so we weren't sure. And I talked to them, They said, "Well, we weren't able to get the word out. We might have twelve of twenty guys." So they set up tables, and the guys started arriving. We just kept setting up tables. There were 65 pastors. And it was a tremendous time in the ministry of the word. Uh, this is the second church. Um, I can't remember the name of this church, but this is an inner city church. Bishop Pavel, uh, the senior bishop for all of the Kiev Oblast, is the pastor. And this church was so full that it actually had overflow, like you had the doors open and there were chairs out there with people sitting on chairs. And again, a lot of young people. So I would say the condition of the church in Ukraine is really good. So we had another youth meeting the next Monday. I left on a Tuesday. And word got out. And uh, so we had 65 young people this time. 65. Uh, just a tremendous time. And this is the Kiev train station. Caught the train coming in. And uh, this time we had a more normal, you know, the three berths. And we only used two of them. But this is more normal for a sleeper. Had to make my own bed. It was really inconvenient. But I made my own bed and mattresses and so on. And again, they provided tea, but you had to bring your own food. So. This train actually went all the way from Kiev to Warsaw. And I don't know if you know, but when it passes through the border, they have to go into a train shop, and they have to actually disconnect the trucks underneath, the the, uh, wheels underneath, lift the train up, pull them out, and put new ones in, because the gauge of the railroad in the ex-Soviet Union is a different gauge than Europe. And that was so that uh, no one could invade the Soviet Union by rail because you can't run a train from Europe into what was the Soviet Union, Ukraine, or Russia without changing the wheels, because it's a different gauge. So that's what we experienced. So I just want to share that with you and ask you for prayer, as I'm going to be going back in November. And uh, there are some tensions, because uh, there's a lot of new leadership. The older leadership has, uh, a lot of them have stepped down. Some of them actually had to flee. I have a good friend who lived in Irpin. Irpin was hit with mortar fire. His uh, portion of his house was destroyed. He had to leave. And so there are still a lot of people scattered throughout Ukraine. And maybe some here who came, you know, because we actually helped uh, my translator, who's 31, her husband and three kids. immigrate to Tulsa. So I'm sure that your church has grown some through, during this time too, just from a lot of people shifting around. Uh, how many were here last time I spoke? Hold your hand up a little higher. OK. Uh, two years, I think. Do you remember what I spoke on? I gave you a little booklet. OK. Morning Watch. It was about spending time with the Lord in the morning. I had it in Russian and I had it in English. And uh, nobody really wanted the Russian ones, they wanted the English ones. But anyway, that's what I taught on. And we have a discipleship series and I use this series in different parts of the world. I've actually been in uh, different parts of India in discipleship training schools, uh, in Bible schools, seminaries. It's a discipleship series. And uh, I actually teach it in the seminary in uh, Venitsa, Ukraine. And again, these are, you know, young people, uh, 19, 20, 21 years old. And I'm teaching on spiritual life formation disciplines of the faith. Two topics, to know him and to make him known. You have to know him to make him known. But to know him through prayer and the word of God, these two disciplines. That we speak to God in prayer and he speaks to us through the word of God. Or he speaks to us in agreement with the word of God. We do believe in prophecy. We believe in visions, dreams, different things. But it has to agree with the word of God. To make him known is our relationship to the world. Both to believers and unbelievers. We make Jesus known in the fellowship of believers. We make Jesus known to uh, unbelievers, fellowship, and evangelism. But my main area that's always pressing on me is our relationship to God, intimacy with God. So that's why last time I was here, I, I actually shared the first teaching in my series, which is the morning watch. Today, I'm going to share with you the second teaching in the series, which is the word of God. How important the word of God is. Why do we read the word of God? Why do we study the word of God? And what does it do in us? The word of God is how God speaks to us. I think we've all had the experience of reading the word of God and having certain scriptures just kind of leap off the page, you know. Those are the ones we highlight. That's God speaking to you. I've had that experience where that's happened, and uh, during that day, I find that that's exactly what I needed. I share it with someone else, and they say, oh, that's exactly what I needed. So God gives you these things. He speaks to you through the Word of God. We speak to him in prayer. He speaks to us through the Word or in agreement with the Word. There are other spiritual manifestations and revelations, and we believe in that. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are a Pentecostal people but it has to agree with the word of God. There's a lot of strange things going on that are spiritual that don't agree with the word of God and we have to understand and be able to discern what's of God and what's not of God. And to do that, we need to know the word of God. We need to live in the word of God. We can't have something happen and then try to search the word of God to figure out whether it's God or not. We need to have it inside us so we understand and discern whether it's God or not. A lot of times we say, I just know that's not God. and How do you know that? I don't know. I just know because I know. Because the word of God's in you. All revelation and prophecy, any spiritual manifestation, must be in agreement with the word of God. The word of God is our standard for faith and practice. Very important. Number one, the word of God transforms our minds. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And if you have an iPhone or whatever, uh, you can look these up. I think it's good if you read them. Are they going to put them up? No. Yes? They did. Okay. That's for lazy people. (laughs) You know? (laughs) It's okay. I mean, you know, you're going to read it anyway. The idea is to use the most faculties you have. You're hearing it. You're reading it. Also, I encourage you to take notes. You know, it's very unusual in the church. I remember especially in the church in Russia and Ukraine. They're used to uh, preaching, which is exhortation, you know, exhortation. I teach line upon line. And so I told them, I said, you need to take notes. They'd never heard of this before. Take notes. What does that mean, you know? And so I encourage you to write things down. If God speaks to you something, write it down. If you throw it away on the way out, that's okay. When you wrote it, it'll help you remember it. The more faculties to hear, to read, to write. Uh, I was in a church one time, and it was there's a section where all the little old ladies sit. And I said, "How many here have heard me teach before?" People raise their hand. I said, uh, "How many people here have their paper and pencil to take notes?" And all these little old ladies held up tablets and pencil, and they're waving them at me. So, it's a good thing. Romans 12:2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's a couple of things really clear here. Number one, do not be conformed to the world. Number two, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And number three, if you do that then you will be able to discern the good, acceptable and perfect will of God. People say, how can I know the will of God? This this is it right here. You can know the will of God by transforming your mind. It's interesting, in the Greek, this word conformed to the world is like clay being molded. The world is trying to mold you into its image. And we resist this by transforming our minds. So how are our minds transformed? Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. Ephesians five twenty-six, And this is talking about Jesus and the church. It says that he, Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse her, the church, with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So it says here that we are sanctified and cleansed by the washing of the water of the word. Our minds are sanctified and cleansed, they're renewed, they're made new through the washing of the water of the word. And having renewed our minds, then we're able to discern, to prove the perfect will of God. I talk about having the mind of Christ through the ministry of God's word transforming our minds john 17 verse 17 and this is the area where jesus met with his disciples Uh, john 15 and 16 where he's giving them instruction Uh, it's interesting if you have a red letter bible uh, john 15 is the only pure red chapter in the scriptures (laughs) pure red just jesus talking if you want to read 15 that's excellent In 17, he comes to the place where he has this thing we call a priestly prayer, where he prays for his disciples. But he doesn't only pray for his disciples in that age, but he prays for the disciples that are yet to come, because he said, when I'm praying, I'm not only praying for these, I'm praying for those who will come through their words. So that includes us. In John 17, Jesus is praying for us. If you're a disciple, he's praying for you. And he prays to the Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We are cleansed and sanctified and changed to the ministry of God's word. I remember one time I was reading through this, and the Lord brought something to mind in a pictorial fashion in my mind. And it had to do when I was a young boy, I used to wash my father's car. And he used to have these big, beautiful Buicks. <laughs> Buicks still around, but they're a lot smaller. But it was a big car. And I'd be washing it. You know, have a sponge, and I'd have soapy water, have a hose, and I'd be washing the car. And the Lord brought this to mind. And uh, we lived in uh, Ohio at that time. And in Ohio, uh, you got a lot of snow. So the cars pick up a lot of salt, a lot of gravel, because they salt the roads. You know, stuff like this. So as I was uh, seeing this picture, I saw myself with the sponge washing the car. And as I went down by the wheel, I kind of slipped under the wheel well. I pulled the sponge out. And what happens when you do that? You got gravel, salt, all kinds of stuff on the sponge. And, And as I was picturing this, I thought, now, if I was to put that on the car, it would scratch the car. And the Lord just stopped me. And he said, you see that sponge? I said, yes, you see that stuff on it? He said, that's your mind in the world. That's your mind in the world. He said, what do you do with that? Oh, well, you take and put it in the soapy water and you rinse it out and then you're, it's clean. He said, that soapy water is the word of God. <laughs> that's what he told me. So wash your minds in the soapy water of the word of God. We must be obedient to what we hear in the word for it to be effective. It's not enough just to read it if you don't put it into practice. You need to put it into practice. In 1 Peter 1, 22, a portion of that, 1 Peter 1.22 says, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. It only happens as you obey. Your souls are purified as you're obedient to what you read in the word of God. You allow it to change your behavior and your thinking process. You allow that, you encourage that. We must be doers of God's word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. That's James chapter one, verse 22 through 25. James chapter one, 22 through 25. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, then he goes away. He immediately forgets what kind of man he was. What's interesting about this is it it isn't an act of disobedience. It isn't like you read it, it tells you to do something, you refuse to do it. It's saying here you read it and then you forget what you read. That's why it's good to put scripture to memory. Okay. immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, talking about scripture, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. I have a whole teaching on the rewards of obedience to God. Because here it says, this one will be blessed in what he does. Whatever you do, The hand of God and the blessing of God will be upon you if, in fact, you do not forget the word of God, but you do it. It's a great incentive, isn't it? So our minds are cleansed and washed and renewed by the application of the word of God, that we might be able to know the perfect will of God. And then knowing his will to be obedient. We need to get the word of God into our hearts and into our minds. We need to read the Word of God. We need to study the Word of God with aids. You know, we're talking about concordance or commentaries, different things. We need to sit under good teaching or listen to good teaching. Uh, you can get uh, different things on uh, MP3, on your, on your, on your devices, uh, different ways you can listen to teaching other than just in a setting like this. Scripture memorization, that's a tough one, you know. I, I didn't realize until I was an adult that most of, my chi- most of my childhood and teenage years I was ADD. I mean, I was just like, you know, I didn't think anything about it. I was like, I'm in class and I'm like, you know, and the teacher would call me and go, what? <laughs> you know, it's very hard. Scripture memory is not easy, but it's very rewarding to meditate upon Scripture. Now, that I can do. And what I do usually is I find certain areas of scripture and during the day I'll meditate on that and let it develop. Let it develop and become part of me. I was in a teaching session one time with a really fine brother, a prophetic brother, and he held the word of God up and he said, you know, this is not only the words of God, but this is also the thoughts of God. That was, I'd never heard that. This is not only the words of God, these are the thoughts of God. And we need to replace our thoughts with his thoughts. That is profound. That is really profound. In Psalm 139, verse 17 through 18, 139, 17 through 18, it says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I could count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says, the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God thinks, and then he speaks. The word of God is not only God's speaking, but it's God's thoughts. And we need to replace our thoughts with his thoughts. And if we do that, then we receive the mind of Christ. What does that mean practically? It means that when you're in a hard situation and you kind of lean back and think that God's thoughts come into your mind and give you direction. Is that powerful? Instead of your vain thoughts that just go in circles and can't find a way out, God gives you a way out and shows you. The mind of Christ is mentioned quite often in scripture and that's what we're talking about, replacing our thoughts with God's thoughts. The key to answered prayer is praying according to the will of God. You remember we mentioned that before, that if you are diligent to transform your mind, then you will be able to discern the will of God. Well, that's necessary in prayer. When I'm praying, I need to discern what God's will is, how he wants me to pray. 1 John chapter five, verse 14 and 15. 1 John five, 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So it's saying that when you pray according to the will of God, you know that he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, then you're gonna receive the quests that you presented to him. How important it is to have the mind of Christ to be able to pray according to the will of God. is that amazing? John 15, verse 7, it touches on this again. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, now think about that. If you abide in me, and I believe he's saying, if you're abiding in me, you're abiding in my words, if you're abiding in my words, you're abiding in me, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Everybody sees this. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. But you don't see the first part. You've got to be abiding in him and his word abiding in you. This presumes that you're abiding in him. His words are abiding in you. Therefore, you have the mind of Christ. Your desires are his desires, and your prayers are in accordance with his will. I mean, there's a place in here that says the reason you didn't receive your prayers is because you're not praying You are praying selfish prayers or self-serving prayers. We need to pray what God wants us to pray. Power in prayer depends, depends heavily upon praying in accordance with God's will. Washing in the water of the word will enable you to discern the will of God and pray according to his will. This one I really like. God speaks to us through his word. God speaks to us through his word. Uh, I've been in Russia and Ukraine many times teaching on this, and I'll say something like, you know, you you speak in Russian or Ukrainian. I speak in English. But, you know, the Holy Spirit speaks Bible. This is what the Holy Spirit speaks. When you're learning a new language, you learn context, syntax, pronunciation. But the big thing you have to learn is vocabulary. The more vocabulary you have in a new language the more you're able to express yourself in that language the more vocabulary which this is you have inside of you the more the holy spirit can speak to you because this is what he speaks in john 14 26 it says the holy spirit will bring to remembrance all things i said to you he cannot bring to remembrance what you haven't put in the more you put in, the more he can bring to remembrance. The more you put in, the more he can speak to you. I heard this story once about a Christian college student who uh, was studying for, he, he, he was having a hard time with a course and there was a midterm exam coming up and he was really concerned about it, so he stayed up all night and he prayed, you know, set a prayer watch. He prayed all night about this test. The next day he took the test, he got a very poor grade. He went to the professor and he said, I don't understand. I got this poor grade and I spent the whole night praying and seeking God. He said, well, you should have spent it studying. God can't bring to remembrance what isn't there. you got to put it in so that God can bring it out. This is how we uh, cultivate the ability to hear God's word, by dwelling and abiding in the word of God. In Romans 10:17. Turn there, if you would, Romans 10:17. The power to fulfill God's will is in hearing his voice. Now, we talked about hearing his voice through uh, scripture. Uh, God can speak to you in other ways. He can put impressions upon your mind. Uh, it's a whole nother teaching, but it talks about how once having uh, received the Lord, that your conscience is renewed. And God can speak through your conscience. The first thing he does through your conscience is convict you of sin. Things that never bothered you after you received the Lord bother you. That's your conscience. I was in a a meeting in Nigeria one time. And I said, uh, how many people here hear voices? Everybody kind of laughed, you know, hear voices. Nobody raised their hand. So I said, young man, I said, a beautiful woman walks by and a voice says to you whoa look at that and another voice says to you no you shouldn't look at that and another voice says to you why not why shouldn't I look at that I said three voices said one's the devil one's the Lord and one's you yours is the whiny voice that's your voice so the issue in the conscience is to discern which voice is which and the only way you can do that is through the word of God which voice lines up with the word of God there's another part to that teaching and that has to do with the character of God and if you look at the fruit of the spirit and some of these other areas it explains the character of God so basically does the voice line up with the character of God is it pushy, is it incessant, is it oppressive that's not God and it has to line up with the word so you need to be in the word or you can't tell so there's other ways God can speak to you but the ability to hear God's voice is where his power comes from. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Romans 10, 17, it says, then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I don't know how many times I read that, and I thought it said faith comes by hearing the word of God. But that's, you know, we've heard that, right? But, but that's not what it says. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What this tells me is that the word of God, reading and studying and meditating on the word of God, opens our ears to hear, and then God can speak to us. And when he does, faith enters. And faith is what gives you the ability and the power to accomplish what God has asked of you. We hear God speak, and we know whatever he's called you to do, you can do it. This is why it's so important to get the Word of God in you. What's the ongoing power of God's Word? Look at 1 Peter 1, 23. 1 Peter 1, 23. We're talking about why we need to read the Word of God and what it does to us. 1 Peter 1, 23. Having been born again not of corruptible seed but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. It says that through the word of God you are born again, you are saved. Then before that I mentioned this. It says that you are purified by being obedient to the word of God. So first the word of God saves you and then as you're obedient to the word of God it sanctifies you. It changes you. It brings you up into maturity in Christ. All of that is contained within the word. Of God. The Word of God is the food that our spirit eats. Look at 1 Peter, this is interesting. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 2. And you've, you've seen this, but as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. In the beginning, it is the milk of the Word. Then as you become more mature, it becomes meat and solid food. God opens new areas to you every time you read the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13 through 14, Hebrews 5, 13 through 14. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That as you grow in the Lord and are able to discern between good and evil, the word of God grows with you and becomes meat and solid food. The word of God is where we receive our spiritual nourishment and strength after we're born again. Uh, There was an old prophet that I had a relationship with, and he shared with me a dream he had. He said uh, he was dreaming, he had this dream, and in this dream he was in this house. And in the house he heard this loud noise going on in the backyard. So in his dream he went to the back of the house, he opened the door, he looked out into the backyard, it was a fenced-in backyard, and there was two dogs back there, one was white and one was black, And they were fighting. Very chaotic. They were fighting. He woke up. He said, God, what does this mean? He said, the white dog is your spirit and the black dog is your flesh. And they're at war. They're in conflict. And if you read Romans 8, you can see Paul talks a lot about this. So he said, Lord, what what do I do? He said, feed the white dog and starve the black dog. So he started purposing to do that. The ministry of the word of God, prayer, fellowship—different things that would feed his spirit, avoiding things that would feed his flesh. And he said, after about two weeks, I think he said, he fell asleep and he found himself in the same house in his dream. So he immediately, went to the back door. He opened the back door and he looked out, and there was this big white dog all by himself frolicking around the backyard. So, what's the uh, what is it saying here? Feed the white dog but starve the black dog. I was preaching a wonderful message, and I shared that. That's all that anybody remembered. They said that was, that was worth the whole message, just that, so I give it to you. The Word of God is a protection and a safeguard against evil and sin. And that's because with the Word of God renewing and refreshing our conscience, we have the conviction of sin. Thank God for the conviction of sin. Thank God that we cannot sin and have peace. Is that right? I remember the days I, I sinned and I didn't have any problem at all. You know? The word is a protection and safeguard against evil and sin. Psalm one nineteen nine 9 through 11. Psalm one nineteen nine through 11. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart I have sought you, oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It will watch over you and keep you. The word of God is alive and powerful. You've heard this verse. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Don't be weary. We're moving along. We're, we're getting there. Okay. Excellent verse. This is a good memory verse. I've read this verse so many times I I can actually quote it, just having read it so many times. For the word of God is living and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. When we read the word of God, when we study the word of God, it is living and powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit. It sets your spirit free. It is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. It brings conviction and deliverance and healing. As you read the word of God, you are not hidden from him with whom you have to do. It exposes you to God himself when you read his word. Is that powerful? It's what it says. Psalm 107, 19 through 20. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. There is healing and deliverance and release from bondage in the word of God. Finally, scripture is the word of God. It is not of men. One of the things I'm finding with young people in particular, and I have a couple of sons that are struggling with this, I have seven kids, five boys, two girls, a couple of them are struggling with this. The fact that this is a good, this is, this is true, and it talks about Jesus, and it basically it, it teaches you about Jesus, but it's not the word of God, meaning it's not authoritative. Okay, it's scripture, but it's not the word of God. We need to understand that these are actually God's words. Listen to this, 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. This is not just a good book about Jesus. This is the word of God. We have the prophetic word confirmed. It goes in, it'll talk about how that's scripture, but we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. It's saying that this, this is a prophecy confirmed. It's a light shining in a dark place so that we can walk in darkness until when? The morning star rises in our hearts. Talking about the return of the Lord. So this is the light that shines in the darkness that we are to follow until the Lord returns. When he returns, we won't need this. Because he is the word of God in the flesh and he is the light of lights and we will not need any other light. But until that time, this is it. Knowing first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Meaning you can't manipulate it and use it the way you want it. The Holy Spirit has to reveal it to you. For prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved upon men, and that, and that's how we got the Word of God. Here's another verse very clear. Second Timothy three, sixteen through seventeen. Second Timothy three, sixteen through seventeen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This will thoroughly equip you for every good work. This word inspiration in the Greek language is theophanos, and it means to be divinely breathed in. These words were divinely breathed by God. God breathed, and Adam became alive. He spoke his breath, he spoke, and there was light. The word of God is breathed into existence. That's why it's alive and it's active. It's sharp. It's powerful. It's to equip you. And it will bring conviction of sin and repentance. Finally, the word of God will accomplish God's will. One last verse. Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. If you want to read something good, just read Isaiah 55. But these areas in particular. Listen, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and they do not return there, but they water the earth, they make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Many times we do not see the results of the ministry of the word of God, but we can trust God that this word will accomplish what God has proposed and it will be fruitful in you. There's a whole area of scripture that talks about the sower and the seed. It's about the word of God. It talks about how the good seed fell upon soil that would take it in depth and it would become fruitful and grow within them. The Bible should be a well-used tool. This is probably my eighth or ninth Bible. I just kind of burned up the other ones. You know, they're so marked up and they're falling apart. One of them I tried to save by getting it rebound, but it didn't help. The Bible is God's textbook. We are to be students of God's word. To summarize what I've said here, wash yourself in the water of the word of God. Replace your thoughts with God's thoughts, your words with God's words. Receive the word and be obedient. Eat the word and grow strong. Clothe yourself with the word and be protected. The word is a seed that will grow and change you and cause you to be fruitful. Jesus is the embodiment of the word of God. He is called the word of God in the flesh. The ministry of his word in your life will change you into his likeness. If you want to be more like Jesus, you need to read and study, memorize and meditate, live and abide in the word of God. Amen. Let me pray for you. Let's stand. Dear God, we thank you for that. Oh.